This is the Becker's Healthcare Podcast, created by the team of Becker's Healthcare, a multimedia company devoted to the people who power U.S. healthcare. Four new 15-minute episodes are released daily, containing industry news, analysis, and thought leadership from powerful healthcare decision makers. Support our show by leaving it a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or other platforms you use. It's a chance to tell us what you like about the show and act on your feedback. Thanks for listening. Now here's the episode. This is Laura Deardo with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Heidi Wald, Chief Quality and Safety Officer at Intermountain Health. Dr. Wald, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Great. Good morning. Nice to be here. Now, I'm really looking forward to our discussion. We'll be talking a lot about quality improvement, especially thinking about the OR and ICU. But before we dive into that discussion, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Sure. I am an internal medicine doc. Um, I am... Uh, I have a subspecialty in geriatric medicine and a background in health services research and also health policy. I uh, spent much of my career in academics until about uh, five and a half years ago. Um, And that academic career was always actually focused on quality and safety as my area of interest. Uh, I helped run, uh, co-lead for my clinical work, and acute care for the elderly inpatient service, where a lot of what we did was focus on mitigating the risks associated with hospitalization and illness in the frail elderly. And that just was a obviously a natural, my clinical work was a natural connection to patient safety and quality um, and started to really move um, through uh, pilot projects into implementation science types of research and then ultimately also into leadership roles in the Department of Medicine, where I was at um, University of Colorado. About five years ago, uh, five or five, six years ago, I left there and uh, took a role, which ultimately ended up being a chief quality and safety officer role at SEL Health. About a year and a half ago, SEL Health merged with Intermountain, and I was honored to take on the lead role, uh, same title. Uh, with the much larger organization. That's amazing to hear. And what a great career journey. I could imagine, you know, especially going from, as you were talking about, um, just really some of the projects and initiatives you were doing with the, the elderly population and then into, you know, working with SDL Health and now Intermountain. How has that transition been since merging in with Intermountain and really um, now having accountabilities over a, a very broad uh, health system? Yeah, well, it it certainly has been a journey. First was the journey from academics um, into you know more operations, um, and then the journey from a you know smaller health system um, to a much larger organization. And so the you know what was interesting about the kind of alignment with SL Health as it integrated into into Intermountain is in the quality space. We had been on uh, similar journeys over the past five or six years. I would say we were taking different approaches uh, to those journeys. And so a lot of the work of integration has been figuring out how to merge the way we approach things. And that's, you know, that's not easy work. And we feel that we need to have a one intermountain approach. It's more efficient, more effective, more able to move the needle quickly. And when we need to adjust to improve quality uh, 
and um, improve safety for our patients. Well, that's great to hear. And can you tell us a little bit about your quality improvement programs? How are you optimizing patient care? Right. So that is a short question and there's really not a short answer to it. (laughs) So I'd say, you know, we're, it's a pleasure to be in an organization that so prioritizes quality, safety, actually safety, or if we think about our fundamentals of care that we focus on at Intermountain, safety, quality, patient experience, and equity, and from, you know, uh, and then there are four additional ones, but the ones in the space that I focus on are the first four. Um, And so it's such a, you know, a pleasure um, to know that our leadership and our, all of our caregivers really prioritize safety and quality and patient experience above all else. Um, uh, not that there aren't other important priorities, and I'll, I'll, I'll loop in their caregiver experience as well, caregiver and a physician and APP experience. But the um, I, as I was thinking about how to answer that question, I think there are maybe three um, major points that I want to make. One is how do we make big changes and alignment as to to make sure we're aligned with evidence-based practice, especially as evidence-based practice evolves over time. Um, So that's kind of a macro view. How do you make sure that, you know, you are executing on the best evidence um, in a way that's consistent across the whole organization? And that's really what Intermountain is known for. That's what um, Brent James kind of put us on the map for um, in terms of, you know, establishing clinical leadership that identifies best practice, identifying how to measure that, right? And then looking to make sure that we are doing what we say we're gonna do in terms of meeting those process measures and outcomes and making sure that we're structured uh, to do that the right way. So that's the the macro. Um, and we still do that. The way we do that has evolved over time. Um, But the, and I could take, you know, an hour (laughs) and describe work of many colleagues, um, uh, but I'll I'll stop there. But kind of macro, how do we um, stay aligned as a big organization and move uh, the needle? The other is, I would say, micro. Intermountain also is known for being really a strong operating model. And baked into the Intermountain operating model is, are the concepts of high reliability, right? How is it that we get the goals of what we're trying to do all the way down to the front line? Um, How do we have situational awareness across the organization on a day-to-day basis? And then how do we improve, right? How do we, if, if the people at the front line know the goals, they also have to know how those goals relate to them and know, you know, how we're trying to move the needle in their particular area of practice. So, um, and that's the micro, right? There's day-to-day improvement work that just has to happen um, that um, comes up in daily work. And then finally, so a macro approach, a micro approach, and then I would say a um, a commitment to build capacity so that um, it, wherever you are in the organization, you have some skills uh, to identify, you know, when there's an opportunity and how, what is the best way to approach it and either, you know, doing a small project in the space where you work or kicking it up to, you know, a 
you know, a system level where we need to make a systematic change. So I guess I'd say three main strategies. Um, and there are, and I would be remiss if I didn't add in um, learning from all of our data. We're just so awash in data and we don't always use it to our best, um, to the best effect. And so we get data from uh, event reporting, right? We get data from complaints and grievances, patient feedback, um, and figuring out ways to use all of the rich data that we have to um, gain insights and act on them. That's amazing to hear. And certainly, you know, it's been impressive to see how the data and technology can really weave into the clinical care. And as you mentioned, um, having a strong culture and approach to doing that um, certainly makes a difference. I'm wondering from your perspective, what are the strategies that have been most successful in particular with improving patient care in the OR and ICU? Yeah, so I would say um, the... Uh, ICU, uh, and we've we've seen some really impressive work out of our critical care units. The one is the ICU work is incredibly multidisciplinary, right? It's um, about a team coming together, right? So um, two, it's about bundles of evidence-based practices, right? What, what do we need to be doing reliably for each patient? And the Third thing, I as I was thinking about this, is really how do we use data in our workflow? So a really strong example has been um, the spread of the practice of low tidal volume ventilation in our intubated patients. And we've, um, with some um, great clinical leadership, have really you know, provided data in the workflow of the team members, right? And, and that involves respiratory, involves nursing, it involves the critical care doc, um, et cetera. You know, how do we use that data, bring it to the bedside so that they um, can execute on a protocol? Um, another example where um, we're having, you know, some great success is the awake and walking ICU concepts. Um, one of our hospitals, uh, LDS hospital really um, was a pioneer in this space. That is incredibly complex, right? The, you need physical therapy, you need nursing, you need respiratory therapy um, to uh, get up, you know, get a patient out of bed, um, uh, lift, lift their sedation, get them out of bed, um, and allow them to be upright um, and um, sometimes even take a shower, right? <laughs> so, but to do that, right, again, multidisciplinary, um, really what are the evidence-based practices we need to bring to bear? And then how do we support that with the right data um, to, to help with improvement? And I'd say final area is really making sure that we're leveraging um, end-of-life care um, appropriately in in patients who are dying, um, and that we are um, valuing, you know, providing them with, you know, the most effective medical care while they're dying, and that may involve palliative care and may involve referral to hospice. So another space in which we are spending a lot of time thinking about how to improve those connections. Um, in the OR, I would say. It's really about um, culture. There, a lot of our work in ORs is about culture of safety, right? 
How do we make sure that the timeout is effective, the briefs and debriefs that um, the protocols are are followed, and if if they are not followed, that anybody in the OR um, is able to stop the line, right, um, and speak up, and that is hard work, right. You have to talk about safety, safety culture every single day, day in and day out, um, to really uh, make sure that that is uh, that folks have that mindfulness that you know emerges out of a high reliability organization. I love that. And I think, as you mentioned, it seems so critical to be able to have um, that culture in place and, you know, making that change or, or really getting into a space where um, you know that all the um, providers and everybody that you're working with really has um, that in mind. I can imagine, as you said, it's it's easier said than done. Um, when you look at having that culture, you've talked a couple of different times about having that information um, flow down into the front lines and, and really um, having trust that things are, are um, the way they're supposed to be. How do you really build that, um, especially after bringing together two organizations and for some, you know, there's going to be some significant changes. Um, what does that look like when you're just starting off? And then, um, as you mentioned, uh, continuous reminders are continuously um, making sure that that culture is in place. Well, we're right in the middle of it right now. So it's a timely question, right? The, the, when you think about a merger, and I don't know if uh, your listeners, you know, have, if they're in healthcare, there's chances are they, you know, they might have been involved in a merger. But you know, there's the uh, the official, you know, kind of merger period is a, a lot about the back. Well, I I don't say this in a judgy way, but the back office functions, right? Getting HR aligned, getting finance aligned, um, getting, you know, those, um, getting legal aligned and compliance, right? The um, actual, it takes a while for that alignment to come to the clinical space. And you have to be really committed to it because it is hard. Um, So we are in the middle right now of aligning our safety culture programs, right? We are in the middle right now of aligning our surgical kind of periop services leadership. And so I would say even 18 months in, we're not finished yet, right? And so we're um, working on that diligently right now. And I think the, the, the reason that we're not done yet is because we're really committed to doing it, right? I think there's a lot of mergers where, um, there's maybe not a commitment to really pushing um, that alignment to the same degree, but we really are committed to one intermountain. Um, and so I guess we are, for the most part, um, at the frontline clinical, we're still not operating entirely the same, but that is our goal um, going forward. So anyway, I don't know if that answered your question, Laura, <laughs> um, but I hope that's helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Extremely helpful um, and definitely great insights to have. Before we wrap up here, I'm wondering, what is your experience implementing enhanced surgical recovery programs and what are the results? Yes. So the experience I'm going to tell you about is 
the experience um, from our peaks region, which is Colorado and uh, eight hospitals in Colorado and Montana um, from the legacy SEL health organization. Um, and we really um, started uh, um, diving into the enhanced surgical recovery programs. And we refer to it as um, ERAS in our organization, um, enhanced uh, enhanced recovery after surgery um, for um, because our anesthesia providers were asking for it. Um, and so we have been in this work um, for uh, multiple years now. Um, we have um, uh, so we had great physician champions um, to lead out and we um, we looked at all the protocols and I think we might have done something a little bit unique in that um, we did start with one or two types of surgeries. So let's say we started with colorectal, but what we started to do is really think, what are the key principles that apply across surgeries? Um, and I would say things like early mobility, um, uh, the approach to pain control, right? Minimizing narcotics when possible, the using the alternatives to opiates, um, the nutritional approaches, right? Um, minimizing the amount of uh, NPO, um, the, the um, approach to carbohydrates, et cetera, pre and post the surgery, right? So we found those principles. We decided that was our evidence-based bundle and how could we apply them across as many surgeries as possible. And so over several phases of the work at each of our, at all of our hospitals, um, we identified um, how we could apply those principles um, more globally, not just um, procedure by procedure. And my understanding is that that's maybe a little different than how some places are doing it. So at this point, we have 90% of our surgeries um, in the region are essentially using uh, ERAS protocols. The 10% that aren't are usually urgent or emergent and are not appropriate um, for you know the, some of that management. Um, in phase one, where we were doing just a subset of surgeries, um, we um, noted an 18% shorter risk-adjusted length of stay if um, the procedure had met the process pass rate, all, all you know, kind of five uh, elements of the bundle were met. In phase two, um, another um, kind of outcome that we had was a 16% um, morphine equivalent unit reduction, uh, so reduction in use of morphine or, or or morphine equivalents, and that is length of stay adjusted, and that's across all surgeries. Um, and so, you know, we are, and, and, and again, a kind of a similar length of stay reduction as our first phase implementation. So, you know, we, you know, feel that we had great outcomes related to that, it's really just kind of baked in. It's our standard of care now um, for um, certainly for all um, elective surgeries where it's appropriate to apply those principles. And so the the, the philosophy that we took was really um, that's uh, ERAS is our approach to surgery. We are now working into the point we, we made earlier about integration. We're now examining if that approach 
would be best spread across the rest of the organization and comparing, you know, lining up what work has been done um, in um, the legacy Intermountain organization. So I so hope that's helpful. Yeah, that's so interesting to hear and definitely um, great to know that, you know, the process is obviously um, takes a while, but certainly to get everyone on the same page, it seems like it makes a big difference. Yep, absolutely. Um, and so, and, and you don't want to change, you don't want to break processes that are in place, um, you know, just for alignment. And yet, you know, at some point um, it, it, it is, I think, something you have to look at if you really want to operate in the same way. That makes sense. Dr. Wald, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been such a fun and interesting discussion, and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Wonderful. So nice to chat with you. It's so important for leaders at the top of organizations to keep learning, stay sharp, grow their networks. To help our audience better do this in a more simplified, personalized, and meaningful way, Becker's Healthcare has launched MyBHC. It's your trusted Becker's Healthcare experience and more with content, connections, events, and learning opportunities. Join the community free of charge at www.my.beckershospitalreview.com and we'll see you there. Mm -hmm.